Today is Friday, February 3rd, 2023. It's day 756 of the J6 political hostage crisis. I'm Mel Holly, and this is your Justice in Jeopardy update. Well, I'm excited to be talking to Jenny Cudd today, and she is a J6 defendant who is uh, willing to share her story with us. Jenny, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Mel, for this opportunity to talk about uh, January 6th and the political prisoners. Yeah, you know, and I think that that one thing that's forgotten a lot of a lot of times we talk about, you know, our guys, our guys, and uh, there are many women as well. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's super important for you to get your story out. Uh, we we did we did talk to um, uh, Kirsten Nimala last week, and uh, she's already gone through you know trial and and is awaiting sentencing now. But it's 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 fairly rare that I get to talk to the the women of uh, J six. So thank you so much. Plenty of us, and I'm sure they would all be willing to talk. <laughs> well, you you bring them to us, and and we'll yes, we I will give them a platform to do so. So uh, why don't you know, just give us a little background on yourself, um, who you are, uh, maybe what state you're in, uh, what your occupation is, all of that. So we can kind of, uh, you know, get to know the the real Jenny Cudd. Yes, my name is Jenny Cudd, and I was born and raised in Lubbock and have lived in Midland, Texas for the last, I think, 14 years. And I own a flower shop. Um, and then I'm involved in a couple other ventures here and there, trying to start a new company up this year, actually back in Lubbock. And uh, I'm, some people have referred to me as a freedom activist, which is a much better nickname than what I've been called after January 6th. So I appreciate that. Um, and I've always been involved ever since I was five years old in protesting different causes that I believe in. Um, my mother said that when I was five, my first protest was against the Planned Parenthood in Lubbock, which no longer wow. exists. So. Wow, that is an amazing story. I love that. I absolutely love that because you, you know, we we have a few of these uh, patriot voices, um, like the young patriot Shannon, and uh, you know, some some young ladies who are just so well spoken. So, so I love to hear from somebody who uh, you know has been doing it their whole life. That's that's pretty that's pretty cool. I enjoy it, and it takes all kinds of people. And so um, one of the things that I did in 2020 was I actually uh, co-organized with some of my other Patriot friends, uh, seven different protests against the government. Um, I never shut, shut down my flower shop and I helped other love businesses like bars and gyms and those that were deemed not essential businesses, uh, helped them open up against Governor Abbott's orders. And so I've always kind of been in this space as far as fighting for personal freedoms and, and fighting against tyranny. Oh, well, thank you for doing that. <laughs> yes, ma'am. What made you decide to go to the Capitol on January 6th? So in 2020, I went to D.C. twice. I went for the 4th of July that President Trump did the salute to our troops. So I went up to D.C. for the 4th of July. And then I also went back on November 14th for the first Million Maga March. I did not make the December one. I wish that I'd gone to that one as well. And then when President Trump tweeted out, um, be in D.C. on January 6th, it'll be wild. At first, I wasn't planning on going because I had just been to D.C. in November. And but then I realized that that was the first and only time so far that President Trump has ever said to be somewhere. He's never said come to my rally or go to this event or anything like that. And that was the first time. 
time. And so I thought, well, let's just support President Trump to fight for free and fair elections. I do believe the election was stolen. And, and I knew that uh, it would be historical, and it certainly was. I actually said that, you know, as I was studying, standing on top of the, the scaffolding, because that, that to me, I, I mentioned that a lot, but it was just uh, the most, uh, I mean, that moment when I stood up there and looked out on the crowd was just, uh, it really got to me. And I just turned to some stranger next to me and said, this is history. Yes. You know? well, what, was your, what was your day like? Well, it was freezing cold. Yes, it was. Oh, my goodness. As you know, uh, the high that day was 22. Um, so at about 630 in the morning, there were uh, some of us that met up at the entrance to the Willard Hotel, which is where I was staying in D.C. And that's right next to the Ellipse and the White House. We walked over with millions of other patriots over to the Ellipse area and listen to all of President Trump's speech, all the speakers that spoke before him, and then made our way down to the Capitol. And I remember doing a Facebook Live on my way down to the Capitol and talking about how Pence had betrayed us. And, and so that's interesting to go back and watch, you know, those different videos. Um, by the time I got to the Capitol, all of the fencing and barricades, all of that had already been removed uh, and was nowhere in sight. It's not like it was just stacked up off to the side. It was completely gone. Yeah, that's, that's the story I hear over and over. I never, ever saw any signs, anything to, uh, you know, let us know that we were not allowed to be there. Yes, that's absolutely a fact. <clears throat> And so made my way up the stairs and ended up going through the West Terrace door, which of course it's on video that that was the door that was opened by the police and they were gesturing people to come inside. Um, I was probably 800 people. Uh, at, there were already 800 people or so inside the Capitol by the time I went inside. I was inside for 19 minutes and of course going up the West Terrace uh, entrance went right into the rotunda. And I remembered, I always remembered, but I couldn't prove it until last week. I remembered that when I walked into the rotunda that I saw a prayer group, a prayer circle, and all of these people had on helmets and kind of tactical gear. And so I went over and I joined that prayer circle. Well, I found out last week on a Twitter video that somebody had put out that I can hear myself in the background talking in their video and I see the prayer circle, and I believe that they were um, some of the people that were part of the Oath Keepers group. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Ken Harrelson, who is uh, 
who is kind of the the primary focus of that video is that the one you're talking about and he yes. starts crying yeah yes. yeah and his wife angel um you know said that that's that's ken and i and i had no idea and uh, then i then you did comment on it as well i remember your 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 tweet on there yes uh-huh and so that was interesting to see because you know as more people are willing to share their videos and different things like that it helps I guess kind of confirm memory because when there's an event that's this complex and has so much trauma around it and also so many lies around it, sometimes it's it's difficult to not doubt yourself as far as what it is that you actually remembered. Right, right. So so I was really glad to see that. Um, so after the rotunda, then I went into I think it's called Statuary Hall and kind of just wandered around some of the hallways and everything like that with all the other people. And, and then I was in the hallway above where Ashley Babbitt was murdered and saw people start to come out with blood on their hands and talking about they just shot a girl. And at the time, people thought it was a young girl. And that's when I thought I should probably get out of here. And so I went I exited out the back side of the Capitol, which I guess is the east side of the Capitol, and just lingered around, you know, for quite a long time and then made myself uh, walked back around to the west side, probably around five o'clock or so. It was so terribly cold and, you know, I'd been out there for almost 12 hours that I decided to walk back to the hotel. And I sat down on the steps of the Willard and recorded a 27 minute long Facebook live video. And I had been doing live videos for a few years on Facebook, but doing at least one every single day after the election. And so of course I assumed that it was just going to the people that I knew on Facebook. And there was, a one minute clip that was taken out of that 27 minute long live video that wound up going viral on Twitter. And in that clip, I say, hell yes, we stormed the Capitol. Uh, we broke down Nancy Pelosi's door. There's a guy sitting with his feet up on her desk, flipping off the camera and that's on Fox News. And of course, I know who that is now, that's Vigo. Um, and it's not Nancy Pelosi's desk either. It was her right. assistant. Yeah. And <laughs> So that video wound up going viral because the, the left thought, oh, well, look at this idiot. She's confessing to all of her crimes. And I've always referred to any group or like-minded people as we, you know, we the people, we the patriots, we that were there on January 6th, instead of saying I. And that has been something that's really been hard to learn. And so because of course I did not go into Nancy Pelosi's office. I didn't break anything, didn't hurt anybody, any of those things. Vandalize anything, but we did. <laughs> we did, as I say that, uh, we did break down the um, Nancy Pelosi's office door and uh, somebody stole her gavel and uh, took a picture sitting in the chair flipping off the camera and that was on Fox News. Um, Patriots got down on the floor and were um, sitting in the House members in the senator's chair.
And so um, I didn't even watch any of the news on January 6th. I just went to bed and thank God I had the first flight out in the morning. And I got up at 4 a.m. To, to see if I could get an Uber or a cab or something like that. And that whole area was blocked off uh, to traffic. And I went outside and there were two lady police officers. And I asked them, how do you suggest I get to the airport? And they said, you're probably going to have to walk several blocks away to get outside of this area. And then I honestly believe that God parted the clouds and sent the cab driver. And a man pulled up in a minivan and rolled down the window and said, ma'am, do you need to go somewhere? And I said, yes, sir, to the airport. And he was the only person on the street. The little angel was sent to you. Absolutely. And so he took me to the airport. And once I got through security, I was able to breathe a little bit and, you know, sat down at the terminal and everybody was in their Trump gear and their patriotic gear and they were mad and I just sat down and cried because <clears throat> I don't think I understood the ramifications of January 6th um, but I knew that it was all going to be used against us no matter what and you know people had started calling and uh news organizations had started calling and had found my mother's cell phone number somehow and started calling her and um, my employees here at the flower shop started getting death threats and and all of that and that was just the very beginning so i didn't really realize days after january 6th um, what all had happened because i personally never saw any violence any destruction from protesters, I only saw violence from police officers that day. And that was very confusing to me. Yeah. So it, it wasn't until a couple of days later um, that I realized the extent of the situation and everything that had happened that day. I had a lot of the same experience in that um, I, uh, you know, I, I posted, I had like a Patriot following on, on Facebook and, uh, I posted just one picture of myself and uh, I, I sort of jokingly said, um, this is my, uh, we just breached the Capitol face. And um, I, I mean, I didn't go inside. I didn't even know anyone was inside at that point. I, it was just that uh, I had filmed, I was there as media and I'd filmed a barrier coming down. And and that's that was my breaching of the Capitol. That's what I was referring to. And, and I wasn't a part of it. I was just there as media. Uh, but yeah, when I when I left, um, when I listened to the news, I went, what, this isn't being reported on the way I experienced it, you know? Right. Right. And now when I talk to, cause I, I'll go around speaking to Republican groups, conservative groups, Patriot groups, and talk about January 6th and mostly about the political prisoners. And every single time I speak somewhere, people will come up afterwards and they'll say, I was there too. And I just look at them and say, wasn't it wonderful? Because yeah. it's something that it almost seems like we're not allowed to say. You know, I know I went with the purest of intentions and I feel like the vast majority of people did as well that are on our side. And it's okay to say that our experience at January 6th was wonderful. You know, how often do you get to be around over a million like-minded people that love their country and are willing to show up. Yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. 
hands down the most patriotic thing that I have ever gotten to be a part of. It was, it was beautiful. You know, it really was. Can't say I would do it again. <laughs> well, that's one of those, uh, knowing what I know now kind of things. And, yes. and you know, I, I was, to be honest, uh, I mean, leading up to that day, I, I, I had some fears that, that they were going to do something. They were going to lock down the city or something like that, but never in my wildest dreams, was it that they were going to, you know, attack us and then, and then turn, flip the whole narrative and uh, that it would end up like it has it. That just wasn't anywhere in my brain. So you went, you went home, uh, but you were fairly immediately seeing that something was wrong, uh, that, that there might be a concern. Uh, did you, did you, uh, you know, what happened? Did you, did you end up on the most wanted list? Uh, what was going on? if I ever uh, wound up on the most wanted list, um, but I know that one minute clip of that 27 minute Facebook live video that I did got something like 7 million views in two days. Ouch. And I'm fairly well known in um, the city that I live in because I ran for mayor in 2019. And thank goodness I didn't win because I probably would have been impeached after January 6th or yeah. recalled yeah. or whatever. Yeah, talk to Coy Griffin about that. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> um, and Derek Evans and, you know, all the other uh -huh. elected officials that yeah. were there. Um, but the, the amount of hate and vitriol from complete strangers across the country that showed up immediately was unbelievable. Um, we wound up having to unplug the phones at my flower shop for five days. All of my employees were terrified. They didn't feel safe coming to work anymore. Um, all of their families wanted them to quit and thank God that they didn't. I only lost one out of seven. And, you know, my, my ladies, if they don't have childcare or if it's after school or whatever, you know, they're used to being able to bring their kids to work with them. And so, of course, all of that stopped. Um, my now husband, but fiance at the time, he wound up working his job remotely at my flower shop in the very front with a gun, mm. you know, because we didn't know what was going to happen. There's so many people that that run their mouth. And, you know, people had called for organizing a protest in front of my shop and um, said that they were going to bust people in from Dallas to uh, throw bricks through my windows and burn my shop down. And honestly, I'm, I'm really grateful that I live and have a business in West Texas versus if I owned a flower shop in Chicago or Denver or, you know, even Dallas, honestly, then it probably would have been burned down. Yeah. yeah. And so we were, we wound up being closed for a week. And um, the day after, the day after January 6th, let me back up the scotch. So on January 7th, I called my mayor, the guy that I ran against for mayor that won, and his name is Patrick. And uh, he was a preacher for 25 years. And I said, Patrick, I know that you are used to dealing with death threats but this is my first time. I don't know what to do. And he wound up getting the local deputy chief of police involved on my case. And um, that deputy chief of police opened up a harassment case and also a death threats case so that I could at least send all of that information to him. Because when you get text messages 
from people you don't know that have your home address listed hmm. and emails from people that you don't know saying that we'll be in your bed tonight. Um, it's, of course, it's terrifying, you know, but I don't think you, I don't think most people realize what that does to your mind over time. Okay. And um, I'm very grateful that my two neighbors are, uh, one's a retired Texas Ranger and one's retired DEA. And so they were on the lookout constantly for me. Um, nobody ever came to my house outside of the media, which was very unwanted um, and published, you know, my home address and everything local media did. Wow. But I never had that's, any bad that, guys. That's something that's just been crazy, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've even seen the DOJ put out people's uh, personal information. Oh, for sure. Yes. And I'm fascinated by how easy it is to get a hold of those things. Like, how did HBO and CNN get my mother's cell phone number when she has a different last name and lives in a different state? And so it was it was all crazy. Um, also, on January 7th, after I started realizing how it was being portrayed in the media and all the other things that had happened the day before. I called a friend of mine, Jeremy, who I had grown up with um, and used to do theater with when I was a teenager. And Jeremy just so happens to be the uh, God King and CEO at the Daily Wire. <laughs> and I said, uh, Jeremy, I went inside the Capitol yesterday. I think I need to get a lawyer. Who do you recommend? And he said, let me call some people. I'll call you right back. And he called right back and said, all of my vast right-wing conservative friends said that you should hire Marina Medvin. And so I hired Marina, she's out of Alexandria. She's actually an immigrant from the Ukraine and she is in the top like 2% of conservative lawyers in this country. And of course I have you know a perfect criminal, uh, perfectly clean, like zero criminal record and have never been through anything. Um, regarding criminal justice or the Department of Injustice. And so it's all quite confusing. And um, so I talked to Marina and wound up hiring her and then that kind of started the journey. Oh, yeah, I know, I know uh, uh, she's, uh, she doesn't even take any more clients. Uh, I know there's a lot of people that have reached out, uh, you know, looking for somebody, because as you said, we, we have so few attorneys uh, who are willing to fight for you guys, you know? Yes. And out of all the January 6th defendants, which I think there's 900, it's over 950 of us now, 90% of them have either a public defender from DC mm -hmm. or a court appointed attorney, which is even worse from DC. And so you can imagine how liberal those people are. And my co-defendant did have a public defender out of DC and she was, he thought that she did a good job, um, even though she obviously went into it thinking that he was a criminal, that all of us that participated in January 6th were criminals. So it's frustrating that we don't have lawyers that are willing to step up and represent people. Um, even if they don't do a pro bono, like that's no problem. You know, we can raise money if we can get actual decent lawyers to represent us. And so that's, that's been a big frustration with learning about the other January 6 cases and what is it that we can do to actually help people. I mean, we, we definitely have a need for that.
no question about it. And, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, this attorney isn't, uh, you know, isn't, isn't licensed in DC or whatever, but, but I know that it's possible to, uh, to make that happen without actually having to, you know, uh, get licensing in DC. There, there are other ways to make it happen. So we, we definitely need a lot more attorneys and, and what we need more than anything is constitutional attorneys, because that's really where it is. You know, it's, that's going to win this, not the criminal defense when it comes down to it. Right. And I appreciate any, any lawyer that is willing to actually fight for justice. You know, Alan Dershowitz is a great example. Yeah, That guy's liberal, but he knows what is right and wrong and what is fair and just and not. And, and, and that's, that's how it should be, you know, the constitutional rights, civil rights, human rights, none of that should be partisan at all. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So ultimately, um, just to kind of wrap up my, my side of it, um, ultimately the government offered me a plea deal. I was charged with four misdemeanors and the felony for obstruction, the 1512 felony, which the 1512 felony, a lot of us have been charged with. And, you know, it carries a up to 20 year prison sentence if you're convicted of it. And the history behind that one is really interesting because it has to do with witness tampering and document tampering and shredding documents. And it only came about as a federal felony after the Enron scandal. Right. And has nothing to do with the Capitol in reality. Right. right. And, and, you know, uh, a case that it would pertain to that it wasn't used in is uh destroying emails um if you oh, think Hillary. Hillary i mean <laughs> it, you know i i don't see why she hasn't been charged with a 1512 you know right oh for sure and so um a lot of us have been hit with that felony and of course it's terrifying mm-hmm. um but um it's like the the Department of Injustice just opened up the book of misdemeanors and felonies and looked for anything that had the word capital in it, yes. right? And decided, okay, we're gonna charge them with that one. Um, so anyway, in October of 21, uh, the government offered me a plea deal and they said, this is the only plea deal. And it was to plead guilty to a class A misdemeanor for trespassing. And I could tell you my thought process before I accepted that plea deal. Part of me thought, I wanna fight this all the way because I didn't do anything wrong. And I know that's where a lot of January 6th defendants are, especially if they've just recently been picked up. And the other part of me was thinking, okay, if I fight this all the way to trial, a, that's probably going to cost me another $100,000 and at least one or two more years of my life just for the court process, right? Much less whatever the sentence would be. And I hate feeling like I can't speak or that I'm always looking over my shoulder or always, you know, worried about if something's going to be taken out of context and that then the government's going to use it against me. Right, because anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law by the Department of Injustice, and that is a fact. And the alternative was okay, well, if I take this plea deal, then I will get my voice back faster 
and be able to hopefully bring some awareness to the January 6th political prisoners. And so that's what I chose to do. And I listened to January 6th defendants on Twitter spaces and Telegram and all the time, you know, having that internal fight as to whether or not they should take a plea deal and get it over with and plead guilty to something that they don't believe that they're actually guilty of, or if they should take it all the way to court. And as we have seen in the last few months, <laughs> the DOJ has a 100% conviction rate on January 6th defendants because there is no way to get a jury of your peers, right? Those people are not our peers. 100%. And the DOJ is not willing to transfer any of the cases out of DC. Um, my lawyer, Marina, was the first one back in February of 21 to file a motion to sever for my co-defendant and a motion to transfer. And she wasn't asking for it to be transferred to Midland, Texas, right? But to somewhere neutral like Nebraska or Indiana, like wherever, right? Anything but DC. And so of course, none of those motions have been granted for um, any of the defendants at all so far. <clears throat> and so one of the things that um, I looked into also before accepting the plea deal was I contacted several of the second amendment organizations in Texas. And I said, okay, if I have a class A misdemeanor, federal misdemeanor for trespassing on my record, is that in any possible way going to affect my second amendment rights for the rest of my life? Because if so, I might decide to go to trial. And every one of them said, no, it shouldn't. And that's true if you're talking about things that are not January 6th. That's true. Because there's a lot of things that shouldn't, but they do for January 6th defendants. And so I have not tried to buy a gun since January 6th partly because I don't want to get so furious yeah. if my background check gets held up. Yeah. yeah. And I'll come back to the second amendment stuff. So anyway, I called my lawyer and I said, okay, let's do the deal. And, and then all of that process, you know, where they just really dig into every aspect of your life starts and a condition of the plea deal is you have to interview with the FBI. And I have zero respect for the FBI. None. Like at my flower shop, I have always offered 10% off to anybody that's military or law enforcement, no matter what. That does not apply to the FBI. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> at all. And I'm about to take out a Valentine's Day ad that says that. <laughs> that is awesome. Because the FBI. Uh, yeah, 10% well off to all military and police, except the FBI. Except the FBI, <laughs> right? Like the FBI is welcome to shop at any other flower shop in town, but they're not welcome in mine. <laughs> and, um, oh, which I didn't even mention. Sorry, it's kind of all over the place. Uh, I was arrested a week after January 6th at my flower shop. It was the day that we were reopening. Oh, wow. And so all of my employees were coming back and my husband was working remotely at the flower shop, armed, all of that. And we were going to see what was going to happen. Oh no. <laughs> and about 10 minutes before everybody showed up to work, uh, seven police vehicles and eight officers showed up at the flower shop, all in tactical gear, carrying long arms and two attack dogs Wow! to arrest little old me. 
Now I need to call my chief of police who I'm friends with, who also supports me <laughs> and ask him if this is standard protocol for, issu for issuing a nonviolent arrest warrant. Because at the time I was only charged with two misdemeanors which was picketing and parading and disorderly conduct. So the least of all possible charges, right? And so the police arrested me, they took me to the FBI. Of course, I invoked my rights. And the two FBI agents that were trying to interrogate me were devastated. <laughs> they thought they had you, huh? Yes. Like this is West Texas. There's not very much exciting stuff that goes on here. And they had the January 6th criminal. And and I they said, Well, we're gonna ask you some questions if that's okay with you. And I said, Now I'm invoking all my rights. I had a letter in my pocket from my lawyer that said I'm invoking my rights, but the police took it. Oh wow. And both of them looked at me and they said, Oh, really? <laughs> It was hilarious. Uh, and then they said, well, because, you know, if you're willing to talk to us, then we could probably help you out. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and I'm like, I've watched Law and Order before. <laughs> Did you say that? No, I wish I had, a, but I didn't have much sense of humor at the time. <laughs> no, no, no. It's kind of shocking when that stuff happens. It's pretty right? shocking, yes. <laughs> and so what happened for the next hour was I interviewed the feds. Nice. Did you really? <laughs> I did. It was great. What, and what I did said, you ask them? I said, where are you from? How long have you been with FBI? You know, did you get your degree in criminal justice? Like what made you want to be a fed? You know, have you always been positioned in Lubbock or, you hope, or in Midland? Are you hoping to get transferred to a bigger location? You know, and just interviewed them. And one of the the feds was brand new out of the academy. And so he was very, very formal, very didn't want to disclose any personal information. The other one had been an agent for 10 years and he just sang like a canary, right? He just oh talked God. and talked and talked. And he was from the same town in Indiana that Mike Pence was from and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so we had a lovely time. And then they took me to the U.S. Marshals who are the actual badasses in federal law enforcement. Those guys are wonderful. Yeah. And the U.S. Marshals um, put me in holding until they could get me in front of a judge. And then I was released on a personal recognizance bond, which I'm very grateful for because they could have, this is one week after the Capitol, they could have extradited me to D.C., Mm -hmm. They could have held me indefinitely without charges because of the Patriot Act. Yes. And January 6th falls under the broad umbrella of domestic terrorism. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so because of that, they can hold you indefinitely with no rights, no access to legal counsel, no nothing, with no charges for forever because of the Patriot Act. And, um, but they released me, the judge released me on a PR bond. So I'm really grateful for that. Okay. Now to fast forward back to, <laughs> uh, back to taking the plea deal. And so we knew based off of, based off of the charge, the class A misdemeanor for trespassing, um, the sentencing guidelines, my background, all of that kind of stuff, that what we were looking at was zero to six months in prison and or probation 
and or community service and or a fine, all these different things. And so, of course, my lawyer asked for uh, probation and a fine. And my sentencing was on March 23rd in DC and in front of Judge Trevor McFadden. Um, the, the judge thing is a lottery system, which I also believe is God business. And for some reason, God gave me Judge McFadden, who is the most conservative and level-headed of all of the judges. And, um, and I'm really grateful for that. And so we went up to DC and he sentenced me to two months probation and a $5,000 fine. And the $5,000 fine was based off of my mouth. Your mouth. <laughs> based off of my off first of what you said. Yes, my first amendment rights, the things that I said. And he said that my words hurt people. Oh dear. Right? <laughs> it sounds like he's falling for some of the wokeism. That was the one thing that really made my husband mad was when the judge said that my words hurt people. <laughs> So, um, so anyway, then we, we came back home the next day and, um, and of course I'm off of probation and have paid the fine and everything. So I, I think I'm in, in a rare group of January 6th defendants to where my case and subsequent consequences, uh, legal consequences are completely done. And so I actually can speak freely about any part of it now, uh, which is really nice. You know, there's, there's a lot of people that have been sentenced to three years probation and, and some of them are still very, very vocal um, or, you know, social media personalities, very involved in, in our side and, and the cause and everything. And I'm grateful that they still speak freely but it does make me nervous sometimes for them because they're still on probation. And so it doesn't take much of anything for, for it, you know, United States attorney and a judge to yank your probation, send you to prison for the rest of your, your term. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's the whole, the whole, you know, we've got the fear tactics, uh, you know, coming and arresting you like that publicly at, at your flower shop because they want everybody to see and they want it to be big, bad and ugly and scary. And, uh, and then they, they want to shut us all up. And, um, and that's the only way that we get the truth out is, is if we keep speaking and, and yes. that's something that makes it so difficult. But I've, I've also heard that they are putting into some of these plea deals that they can never speak about that day. They can never write a book. They can never speak publicly at all about it. So um, oh, wow. some of them are pretty bad. Yeah. Well, and the frustrating part with, um, with the government, <laughs> with dealing with the government is at least in my case, when they offer you a plea deal, that's it. You know, there's no sending back any revisions and saying, Hey, if you remove this word, or if you take out this phrase or whatever, then we'll sign it. It's mm -hmm. either you sign it or you don't. And, and so if you don't, and if you don't, then they throw on more charges. They have another superseding yes. indictment. They get another grand jury together and they throw on some more stuff. Yep. Right. Yes. And they just are bleeding January 6th defendants dry. Mm -hmm. I mean, even it's just the mental side of it is exhausting. You know, I can't imagine what 
the families are going through who have had their family member incarcerated pretrial for over two years now. And one of the things that I try to talk about always is the January 6th political prisoners. Because my story is just my story. And in the broad scheme of things, I think it just makes me qualified to speak on the subject. But the, the true miscarriage of justice is what is going on with the, with the political prisoners. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I try to talk about that always when I go and speak at different groups and things like that. I have, I, t- I talk of course about Ashley Babbitt, Roseanne Boyland, um, and the two guys that died of heart attacks from, as a result of being hit by concussion grenades, mm-hmm. Philip and Kevin. And then I also talk about Victoria White, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who was damn near beaten to death yes. in the tunnel yes. and um jake lang mm-hmm. who has been almost the entire time i mean i think they arrested him one week after january 6th and has been incarcerated for over two years now pre-trial and uh ryan nichols who just got out on bond after i think it was over 500 days i want to say um, Jeremy Brown, who never even went inside the Capitol. Mm-hmm. That's that's the one that I really, when people are finally have the ears to hear, mm-hmm. you know, a different perspective on what happened on January 6th. I always talk about Jeremy Brown because he's a highly, highly decorated, you know, over 20 years, special forces. And he only went to the Capitol on January 6th to provide security for the speakers. Because as you know, there were, gosh, there was probably a hundred speakers. Yeah. If you look at all the different Freedom Plaza, the Capitol, the Supreme Court, like all the different places that different organizations had set up programs. I mean, they had speakers for hours and hours and hours lined up. And so Jeremy Brown went to provide security for the speakers and never went inside the Capitol, never any of that stuff. And he's only been charged with two misdemeanors. Now, to put that in perspective, I was charged with four and a felony. He's been charged with two misdemeanors, and he has been in prison since September of 21 in Florida, mm-hmm. and, and he's the one, this is what always blows people away, and I know you know this stuff, but I'm just saying for your audience or whoever else, oh, um, he's the one that in December of 2020, the feds went to his house and asked him to be a confidential informant on January 6th. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he recorded the whole thing and released it. And that's been one of the big <clears throat> topics around January 6th is, well, were there undercover agents? Were there confidential informants on and on? I think a couple months ago, the government finally admitted in a court case that they had 12 undercover agents get out. You don't have 12 undercover agents and a crowd of over a million pissed off people. Yep. <laughs> I think we have way more than 12. Like 1,200 or something, you know? I mean, for sure. There were a lot. Yes. yes. Yeah. And so Jeremy Brown is the only person that I know of that actually recorded the feds asking him to flip. Mm-hmm. And I just, I admire him and all of the political prisoners so much because. There's, there's a lot of the political prisoners that um, have military or law enforcement backgrounds. 
and that is being used against them as a reason to continue denying bond because they have specialized training, which makes them a threat to society. So yeah, that the, their own government mm-hmm. provided them with and that right. they selflessly served their country, this same country is now prosecuting and persecuting them. Yes. And so on January 5th, all of those guys were American heroes. And then on January 6th, they were all whatever you want to call, you know, whatever people call us, right? Insurrectionists, top killers, um, traitors, whatever. Right. And rioters, yes. And <laughs> that was certainly not a riot. Domestic terrorists, everything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, they have been held for two years without without bail and it's it's quite horrifying Mm -hmm. that's that's always the thing that gets people the most when I talk about the January 6th political prisoners is how can this happen in our country like don't you have rights don't you have right to due process and right to a speedy trial and not to mention all your other constitutional rights Mm -hmm. and the answer is no Those things do not apply to January 6th. That's been proven over and over and over. You don't have a First Amendment right. Good grief, we barely have a Second Amendment right at all. And those things don't apply to January 6th defendants because it is a political persecution. It's the weaponization of the Department of Justice, injustice against the American people. And it doesn't matter if you're a January 6th defendant or if you are a mom at a school board meeting, or if you're a Christian, or if you believe in the second amendment, or if you're a pro-life activist, the same rules do not apply. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, we've, and, and we've, seen, we've seen the same kind of thing also in, in, the, uh, in the health sphere. You know, you, I mean, you talk about somebody like uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, and he was one of the, you know, probably top foremost uh, respected cardiac doctors in the world. I mean, this guy would walk into a room and would get a standing ovation and how quickly they were able to strip him of everything they could and turn his name to mud. It is just mind blowing. Yes, it is. And I'm so glad that um, I'm so glad that Elon bought Twitter. I think it's a heck of a lot more fun. And it seems like there's way more conservatives on there now. And they're still trying to figure it out and everything. But at least some of those people that were canceled for speaking the truth during all of the 2020 mess have finally been given their platform back on Twitter. And I think Dr. McCullough is one of them to where you know he can now tweet he can't facebook it anymore still but he can at least tweet and you know be engaged in those conversations and reach that audience on social media because the canceling that happens is it's just unbelievable i can tell you about a couple of the the cancel things that i experienced um, of course, Facebook took down all my accounts and then Parler kind of exploded all of a sudden right after January 6th. Um, I was canceled by uh, the e-commerce company that I used to take online orders, everything like that. Um, I was also canceled by Stripe, which is the world's largest credit card processor. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very difficult to do business 
um, well, without a credit card processor, you can't, but so they canceled me at one point, of course, GoFundMe immediately, I mean, within hours, shut down all January 6th uh, right. legal defense funds. Yeah, and then we say for something like they would say, like for promoting terrorism. Yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so then we all jumped over to give send go, which was kind of just a teeny tiny baby at the time and tried to make, um, you know, our fundraisers on give send go. Well, their number one credit card processor was Stripe. Yeah. Yeah. So, we, yeah. We went through a little thing with that for a while, didn't we? <laughs> yes. And so until they got another one, because Stripe wouldn't allow it right? Because we're terrorists. Mm-hmm. Um, Venmo, I'm still permanently banned off of Venmo. Uh, Venmo, PayPal, Airbnb, um, plus some, you know, local radio stations, restaurants. I've got a lifetime ban at one local restaurant that I used to work at, wow. uh, which is funny because it's only a city of 150,000. What did that look like? Um, the place is called the Garlic Press in Midland, Texas. And it's where I, I used to work when I first moved to town uh, 14 years ago. And then it's also where my husband and I had our first date. So it's got some sentimental value to it, right? And so um, two days after I was arrested, so I was arrested on Wednesday the 13th. And on that Friday, uh, one of my girlfriends from Lubbock had come down to spend the weekend with me and to also you know help work the phone lines at the shop. <laughs> And uh, so she and I made a reservation at the Garlic Press, went on a Friday evening. It's one of the few upper scale restaurants in town. Went um, up there, sat down, ordered drinks. And then I see around the corner, the general manager like pop his head out and he's on the phone. Uh And I looked at my friend Kate and I said, here he goes. Oh man. And so he comes over and he goes, uh, I'm sorry, Jenny, but we're going to have to ask you to leave. And I said, okay, no problem. Um, please cancel our drink order. And can I ask why? And he said, it's a decision from management. And he used to work with this guy, right? His name's Josh. And I said, okay, is it just for tonight or is it for forever? And he said, it's for forever. And so we got our stuff and we left. I just, I, I, and I can tell you all the Patriots in town don't eat at the restaurant anymore. Yeah. I bet that uh, damaged some business for them. I, I hope it did at least, you know, mm-hmm. different things like that. You know, I think all of the January six defendants have experienced and also family members for a whole lot of people too. Oh yeah. Um, I've been there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of the things that is surprisingly uncomfortable is traveling but I do have some hope. Um, So anytime that a January 6th defendant, if you are even charged, right, much less convicted or anything like that, but if you're even charged with January 6th crimes, then you are put on the highest level of terrorism list where you are still allowed to fly. And I did not know that that was the ranking, right? Because I'm not on a do not fly list. I'm not on a domestic terrorist list. Yeah, And these these lists aren't like posted. It's not like you can get up and like find it, you know? 
Right. They are not posted anywhere. And I kept asking my lawyer through this whole process. I was like, can you see if I'm on a list? And she's like, the only list that I have access to, you're not on. So it's very frustrating because you can't figure out where these top secret lists are. Well, somebody knows where they are, right? And how you get on and off of them. And so I used to travel all the time, love to travel. And so all of a sudden I couldn't check in online, like early check-in. Mm -hmm. It says you've got to talk to an agent at the gate. And so I'd go in person and they would get very confused and say, I've never seen anything like this. I have to call somebody. And I'm like, oh, I know, I know. And so they'd call somebody and have to get TSA approval, Homeland approval, know where I was going, blah, 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 which of course is all in my reservation. You know, yeah. how many bags, how many, all the things, right? and get specific approval in order to print out my boarding pass, which had four S's on it. And that is that, you know. Yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what I've heard, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. And so then you go up to security and security has to get all the people over, including Homeland and do the super invasive body pat downs, right? And test your feet and your hands and like all the things for any kind of explosives or whatever. And look through all your stuff and test all your stuff, like way more than just usual. And then by the time you get to your actual gate, there's a whole nother row of TSA agents again to do all the exact same things. So any connecting flight, any gate, right? The same thing happens with dogs, with explosive experts, with on and on and on. And so my husband and I kind of got used to this game. And so when we were at a connecting gate, you know, we can see them all line up. We know they're there because of me. Yeah. And so we'd go over and say, hey, we know that you're going to have to do the super pat downs. Do you want to go ahead and get it over with so you don't have to hold up the line? And every single time they would lie through their teeth and say, ma'am, we don't know what you're talking about. Like this, it's just a random selection, you know? It's <laughs> That's hilarious. Cause I've heard the same story from several people now. Oh yeah. my gosh. And, and so, yeah, and it's, and it's not only affecting you and those who you're traveling with, but it's affecting everybody else who has to get, who's, you know, wanting to get on this oh, place yes. to travel. Yes. And so we would hold up our boarding pass and we'd go, uh, we've got the four S's right here. <laughs> like you have to pat us down again yeah. so do you want to do it now or do you want to act like this is new to everybody right and they're like act like it's random okay because then if you think of all the people in line that are waiting to get on the plane and then they see the measures that are taken oh yeah that's what it's about you. Mm -hmm. so but here's the hope part of that because after two years and about six months after I was done with probation, I finally fell off the four S's list. And in December of last year, I traveled like a normal person for the first time ever. Wow. That must have been like an amazing trip. <laughs> it, it was. It was amazing. And, and at the same time, it brought up a whole different like dimension of grief. Yeah. Because it's almost like it hadn't registered in my brain how much I had changed and adapted and accepted 
as a new way of, well, if I'm going to travel, it's going to look like this, mm. you know, and how wrong that is. Mm. And again, for, for your listeners, like it's not just for January 6th defendants, it's for anybody else that's attached to them. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you're not family members, if you're employees, if you're, you know, whatever. And um, I made the news, uh, again, real bad national news in February of 21, because uh, we did a standard motion, a request to travel with my judge, and he granted it. And I took all of my employees and their husbands down to Cancun, Mexico, on a trip, on me, that we had planned because it was to celebrate the fact that we survived 2020, you know, and we were still in business and everything. And, and that turned into this massive, obnoxious, I mean, headlines all over the world about January 6th Capitol rioter terrorist, you know, takes work-related bonding retreat with her employees to Mexico, blah, blah, blah. And so every single one of my employees, when we came back from Mexico, it was just like three days. When we came back from Mexico and had to go back through customs and everything to get into the U.S., all of them were interviewed by Homeland. All of them. Yeah. Which is obnoxious and not something that they should have to go through either. Yeah. So I am grateful that I'm off of the four S's list and I can travel again. Um, and I hope that that also happens to the other January 6th defendants as their cases are over and you know things like that. Um, another thing that, uh, that has affected a lot of us is banking issues. Yes. So, and this is all because of the Patriot Act that George W. Bush put into place. Don't you love how they name these things too? It's so Oh, crazy. yes. Right. Like you're not going to vote against something that's called the Patriot Act, no matter if every single thing in there has to do with surveilling American citizens. Mm -hmm. Um, So last year, last summer, so I was already off of probation. My case is completely closed. Last summer, I applied for a $25,000 revolving line of business credit. Now, at the time, my credit score was 791. I've owned the flower shop for over nine years, and we do about seven to $800,000 in sales every year, right? I've got all the financials to back up getting a $25,000 revolving line of business credit, which is a very, very small number in the broad scheme of things, right? Yeah. The bank sends back, it, was, it wasn't it was a local bank. Uh, thank God my local bank has had no issues with me. Um, the bank that I applied for sends back a rejection letter and they have to put on there the reason why. And the reason they listed was because I do not meet the minimum requirement for the Bank Secrecy Act. The Bank Secrecy Act. Oh, what's that? Exactly. Well, you can't know because it's a secret. <laughs> oh Isn't that terrible? Yes. So I contact my lawyer and I'm like, what do I do? I don't know what this even means. So the Bank Secrecy Act came out in the 70s. And the entire thing has to do with money laundering. 
and the very bottom it says and other crimes and other crimes so they can throw anything in there right and so that ties to the patriot act now the bank secrecy act does ties into the patriot act which of course i fall under because of domestic terrorism or domestic extremism extremism even though i've never been charged with either one of those much less convicted so it is possible now i haven't tried to prove it again but it is possible now that i will no longer have access to fdic insured money because i have a misdemeanor trespassing charge on my record which isn't the problem the problem is because that is tied to January 6th. Mm. And you hear of the other people like Brandon Strzok, mm -hmm. you know, with the Walkaway Foundation. And all of a sudden, his entire company, you know, couldn't process credit cards, had funds frozen, like, I mean, can't get into a bank, you know, and this has happened with so many different patriots. So it's, it doesn't end, it yeah. doesn't end. You know, part of my case is over, but that doesn't mean that the consequences are all over yet. Yeah, and, and this is, you know, this is something that should really wake people up, regardless of what they think uh, happened on January 6th. If they don't see uh, how our rights are being taken away, have already been stripped from us, and that they've put all these things in place, in place, you know, you know, years ago, maybe decades ago, and uh, they just look for them to use them now when they need them, right? Um, to to ruin your life, to make life difficult, and it doesn't just hurt you; it hurts all of those around you, like you said. Um, whether it's your employees, your family members, your friends, your neighbors, you know, with the people that are flying on the plane with you, people you don't even know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't see that there's any end in sight. Um, so when people ask me, what can they do to help? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you next. What is your call to action? <laughs> yes. What is your call to action? Um, so right before sentencing, I created a website just be, to be able to direct people to other websites where you can help, right? So it's just jennycud.com. And I don't have any kind of fundraiser or anything like that. Um, on there, I link to two different organizations. One is stophate.com mm -hmm. and they're wonderful. And yeah. they have every single uh, fundraiser for January 6th defendants, their stories, all the different independent documentaries that have come out by our side about January 6th. Um, they have a lot of wonderful resources. And then the other website I linked to is the Patriot Mail Project, which I really think is a godsend. Um, I am on their list and I have- and That is a list that you do wanna be on. Yes, yes, you do wanna be on their list, yes. <laughs> and I have not been in, you know, incarcerated outside of the, the few hours that before I got let out on bond. And the Patriot Mail Project has a filterable list to where if you just want to write letters to all these guys that are incarcerated, you can. If you just want to write letters to all the Texans that have been charged, you can. Um, to all the women that have been charged, you know, different things like that. And they don't have all 950 defendants 
on there. But as people contact them, as they're, you know, always reaching out to family members, different things like that, then um, they can add your information on there. And so for all of us that are not locked up, you just send mail to the Patriot Mail Project, and then they have everybody's addresses confidential, and then they would forward that mail to you. And I'm going to read you this one that... Um, that I got in December. I got several different Christmas cards in December. And this one, I didn't, I didn't actually open until January 6th, until the two year anniversary of January 6th. And, and it just, it ripped my heart out. Um, so I'm gonna read it to you and then I will cry all over the place again. <laughs> You could tell by looking at the uh, Christmas card that it was written by a child. And it says, Dear Jenny, I understand what happened to you. I will never understand the pain you felt. God loves you and I want to thank you. For fighting for me to have a better future. God bless you from Seth. And then he wrote a Bible verse, Jeremiah 17, seven, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. That's, that's, that's amazing. That is so beautiful. It is. And what really got me about that was, A, that somebody raised their kid to be that great. Mm -hmm. And two, that they're willing to share this information with their children. Yeah. You know, it seems like there's so many people that try to, you know, protect children and shield children and, and on and on. And some of that is great, but they need to know what's actually going on in our country. Yeah. And so I think it's very important to bring, especially the older children, you know, teenagers or whatever, to bring them into these conversations about what's going on with January 6th and talking about our veterans that are locked up and talking about this injustice, you know, because what they write in the history books about us is not going to be true. We know that's going to be very one-sided. Yeah. And, and, and we I, don't know how long this is going to go on. And if, and if our kids are not, if it's not pointed out to them right here where, where we're at this stage, and, and we're fighting this for years. If, if they're not taught the truth right now, then uh, it's going to be lost. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm forever grateful that, you know, when I was growing up, my parents made sure that if there was a World War II veteran that was speaking somewhere that we went and listened to him and we stood up and we asked him a question. You know, that if there were Vietnam veterans, if there were Desert Storm veterans, like anybody that was involved in anything historical, you know, that we always went and at least showed support by being physically present and hopefully by getting to say, thank you for your service, or can I ask you a question or whatever to learn something about it. And so I know right now there's a big movement inside of the Patriot Mail Project to start connecting kids. Yes, yes. 
Because if you think of it, right, regardless of what anybody thinks about a January 6th defendant or their personal story or whatever, almost all of them have children. And these children are not getting to see their dad most of the time, some of it is their mom, for two years. And they have not had their day in court. They have not been, you know, innocent until found guilty. That doesn't apply. They've not been convicted, any of that kind of stuff. And these kids are suffering something terrible. And so inside of the Patriot Mail Project, they've started a group to where kids can write other kids. You know, out of all the letters that I've received, this one letter from this kid is the one that tears me up. And so again, I'd encourage everybody to get involved in the Patriot Mail Project um, to write letters to these guys, you know, I can't imagine still maintaining my belief in God and my belief in this country after being incarcerated for two years with no due process. And every one of these guys that I've gotten letters back from talk about God and country the whole time. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. It's yeah, amazing. I'll tell you that, that, that this is one thing that, that is just a common thread. Um, not that there, are, there aren't many of them, but, but this is what we hear over and over and over is that the Patriot Mail Project is, is really the thing that's kept them going is yes. getting these letters and that they get the letters when they're at their lowest point and, and they need to hear it. Yes, it's phenomenal. And so there's yep. this book. <laughs> the American Gulag Chronicles Letters from Prison. I have not read it because I can't yet. I did read the intro last night. So I think I'm on my way. Um, but when I first started getting letters back, I would scan them in and send them to the people that put this book together, mm-hmm. not knowing they were putting together a book. And so there are, yeah, so there are two letters in here that were written to my, um, my fiance at the time, because my lawyer wouldn't let me put my name on the letters. Uh-huh. So they all came from my fiance instead. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> but the guys, like some of the guys were writing back nine months later, after we had sent this Christmas letter in December of 21. And we were still getting responses in September of 22. And in them, they said, sorry, I didn't write you sooner. I really thought I'd be out of here by now. Yeah. Right. And I think it's starting to sink in that they're not, they're not getting out. And that's the reality of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So this book is full of letters and illustrations from the January 6th political prisoners. And I think it is a very well put together book. Um, at first, I we've just got some great artists in there, like Garrett Miller and oh yes, and Kyle Fitzsimmons. He yes. has always drawn stuff. Yep. Um, and so I originally just bought twenty five of them, like when they first came out, because I thought, well, I'll give them out as Christmas presents, right? <laughs> it's not really a happy Christmas present, I can tell you that. And when I got that first set of 25 in the mail, I don't know what I was expecting, like a magazine or something. And I thought, well, good grief. These are really nice, really nice. And so I immediately went and I bought a hundred 
and contacted the people. Um, Tim Rivers with J6 Patriot News is the main one that put all of this together and contacted them and said, can I sell these at my shop? Oh, I'm so glad you're doing that. That's, yes. that's awesome. That is fantastic. And they said, yes, absolutely. You know, the book costs $10. We sell them for 45. So $35 goes back to help the January 6 political prisoners, whether with their legal defense or the family needs to, you know, pay rent, like whatever it is, right? And there's a board that figures all that stuff out. And I don't want to be on the board of any of that stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so it was really perfect because like now I have 125 books. And on the two-year anniversary of January 6, I went on both local radio, conservative radio programs and talked about it, you know, and posted it on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And so we have sold 38 books in the shop. and. Then last time I spoke to a Republican group, we sold 30 books there. So we've sold 68 so far, which is oh, great. Good job. So I'd encourage anybody to go to, I'm going to link to this on my website too, the American Gulag Chronicles. It's the longest possible name ever. Um, .com and you can buy a book because what I found is it's easier for somebody to buy a $45 book knowing that the vast majority of that is going to help some January 6th person versus taking the time to research a defendant, learn their story, find their gifts and go, you know, and donate that way. Yeah. Right. But almost anybody will buy a book. I'm very excited that you that you plugged Tim and Marie's uh, great work there yes. <laughs> because um, I, I don't do it often enough. Marie is an absolute gem. Oh she, my gosh. She She's a January 6th mom for yeah. those of you that don't know yeah. and works tirelessly. She does. Connect she really people. does. She does. She never stops. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. But she's a great writer. She's a great artist. Yeah. Um she's yeah, she's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then two, um, I recently signed up to be part of the new um January 6th support hotline. Oh, good. So you're so going to be, are you going to be answering calls for that? Yeah. Uh-huh. So this is super important to you to get the information out about. Um, one of the things that we don't talk about very much is the darkness. And I talk about it with other January 6th defendants. I have access to all of my emotions, as you can tell. <laughs> It's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. Yes, it is. Um, so we've already lost, I think it's, it's either seven or eight, uh, January 6th people to suicide. Mm -hmm. And Matthew Perna is the one that, um, a lot of people recognize. Mm -hmm. Uh, he, he committed suicide um, back in February of last year. Basically, the Department of Injustice bullied him to death when it comes down to it. And he didn't think that there was any other way out. And his aunt has done a fantastic job of getting that information out to people and contacting uh, representatives 
um, Andy Beggs and Louis Gohmert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, they have all held press conferences with his aunt, Jerry Pernak, and talked about his story and everything. And, and it's something that I would, I would venture to say that every single January 6th defendant considers at some point. Not just from the prosecution and persecution by the federal government, but also the media and the local media and the people that have been fired from their jobs because they went to the Capitol to redress their government for their grievances, you know, which you have a constitutional right to. Um, or the people that have gotten divorced or gone bankrupt or, I mean, you name it, right? There's and none of us none of us ever thought when we went that any of this would have been a possibility, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Most of the people that I know from January 6th or that I saw on January 6th were regular everyday people who, sure, they'd always voted, but maybe they'd never been to a protest before. They'd never um, even been part of their local Republican group or, you know, gone block walking or campaigning or whatever. Just regular people that finally got pissed off enough <clears throat> to show up. And the one time that they show up, then the government tries to destroy their lives. Mm. And I think that is the main purpose with the government side of all of this January 6th prosecution is to show the people that you can't ever resist your government. You can't ever stand up to your government, not if you're on our side, because they will destroy your life. And, and I hope that, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that people don't back down. I could tell you, I think twice before I go to a protest mm -hmm. and I don't like that yeah. because I've always just, been willing to jump in right away because I know what's right and what's wrong. <laughs> so back to the suicide and the darkness stuff. Um, so a group of great patriots and January 6 defendants decided to put together this hotline, this support hotline. And so of course you can call it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and somebody will answer. And a lot of those people that are answering, myself included, are January 6th defendants. Um, there are some people that are not January 6th defendants, which I think is fantastic because a lot of January 6th defendants as a condition of either their pretrial probation or their post-sentencing probation are not allowed to speak with other January 6th defendants. Mm -hmm. So it's great that there's also people that were not part of that day that are part of this. And so it's just a hotline for support. Just to have somebody to listen to you, to love on you. Of course, we can't give any medical advice, legal advice, psychological advice, right? We can't do any of that stuff. Um, some of us, myself included, our backgrounds, educational backgrounds are all in counseling. And so I think some of that helps. But two more than anything, what I hear from other J6ers is just how much it helps talking to somebody else that gets it, yeah. you know, that was either there that day or has been through this prosecution and persecution crap, you know, and understands what that kind of fear is like as well. Hmm. And so that um, the hotline number 
in case you want to call and talk to me or anybody else, because I don't know who the calls go to. I haven't gotten one yet, but they just started it. So is 833-SAVED-J6. So S-A-V-E-D-J-6. I think that's easier to remember than actual numbers. So 833-SAVED-J6. And I hope that um, either people that were there that day or their family members or whatever will will call into that if you feel hopeless and helpless, if the darkness comes, because it's going to come. And if you don't know what else to do, I certainly hope that you'll call that hotline and, and talk to one of us. Well, Jenny, thank you so much. This, is, uh, this has been such a, uh, an amazing uh, chat that we've had. And uh, you, you just, uh, you are one of the heroes to me who have been fighting, you know, from the beginning and that you're not, you're not afraid, you're not going to back down, you're not going to let them stop giving you a voice. I, I'm even amazed that you've continued to travel knowing that you've had to go through that because, uh, you know, for a lot of people, they've just opted to not travel. Um, and uh, so, so I love that you're just, uh, you're just showing them what you think about that. <laughs> Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And 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 thank you so much for mentioning um the American Gulag Chronicles uh book. I hope everybody, if you haven't ordered a copy, that you'll order a copy for yourself and at least for one other person. Um uh, maybe maybe send it to a uh a politician um because uh those people need to know this and uh that that's that's a really good way to to get the truth out there. So uh and thank you for what you continue to do with, uh, you know, answering the hotline because uh, the crisis uh, phone center is going to be a, a great new resource that we have uh, for our families, for our J6 defendants. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I, we've talked a lot about how, you know, the, the people who haven't found their way to or haven't been found by the, the J6 community, the other families, um, they, they seem to really struggle and, and things really change once they become part of the community because nobody else knows what it's like unless the people are going through it themselves. So that's, that, that's been, that's been great. And I hope that everybody is able to find their ways there, but, you know, I know that one thing that the hotline is also um, going to provide is, is that, is that there is a list um, of all of our organizations yes. and the different services we provide uh, because we, we all have different missions, you know, um, with Americans for Justice, you know, we've got food for J6ers where we put money, actual money on their commissary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got our new program, uh, J6 Road Home, that was kicked off with the Elijah Fund where, where we're raising funds uh, to assist people as they're coming out of the jails. Because, uh, you know, as you know, so many people have just lost everything, which may even include being abandoned by, by their families. So yes. so we're helping people get back on their feet, have a place to stay, find a job, all of that. So, you know, all of our organizations have different needs that we're fulfilling. And and I always love it when it when a new need is found and and somebody steps up to do that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's great news, but... Uh, Absolutely. Thank you, Mel, for having me on and um, let me tell a little part of my story and and talk about the, the rest of the people that are still very much fighting this fight. Um, it takes all of us. It takes all organizations. It takes all the people in order for um, us to get the information out there and to get the word out there because there's so many, so many Americans that want to help and um, 
unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are completely unaware that the political prisoners are still political prisoners here two years later. And so I know sometimes inside the community, it feels like we're just repeating ourselves over and over, but that's what it takes in order to get the information out. So I really appreciate you and all the other people like you that are willing to give us a platform and a way to talk and share about this information so that we can help others moving forward. Well, thank you. It's it's my honor and my pleasure. And uh, you know that my mission is to is to get out the truth um, through giving you guys a platform. And and even as far as to um, you know find people who are going through this who don't know that there's a community who don't know that there are people speaking out and that it's okay uh, you know if you want to speak out too I'm here to give you a platform and and just uh, subscribe to my channel and and share the shows share the podcast with your friends via text via email on social media you know however you can because each one little person can make a huge difference and you just never yes. know who you're going to reach. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I, I look forward to, to getting to know you better in the future and, and having you back on any time and, and uh, working together in, in any way that we can. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mel. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jenny. You have a great day. If you'd like to help us support J6 families as they're released from jails and prisons, please check out the Elijah Fund. You can find that on our website, a4justice.org slash TEF. Americans for Justice, Inc. is a nonpartisan alliance that vigorously defends the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and due process across our great nation, which are pivotal to preserving life, liberty, and freedom for all. Too long we have played defense and are losing on all battlefronts through divided efforts. The root problem of election integrity, medical freedom, political prisoners, southern border crisis, CPS and APS and others is one common thing, a direct assault on the U.S. Constitution and due process. Americans for Justice is a nonprofit organization with local chapters in all 50 states, working with lawyers, legal scholars, and organizations to actively fight government overreach at all levels. Unite with us in the fight for our J6 political hostages and whatever else due process rights are violated. We ask for your support in this vital mission through a one-time donation or an ongoing membership. Go to the letter A, the number 4, justice.org.